misunderstood. Yeah. Some say that he's up to no good around the neighborhood. Revolve your information. A lot of my brothers got education. Now check it. You got your Wall Street brother. Your blue collar brother. You're down for whatever chilling on the corner brother. My name is Lalu Davies Yemington, and you're listening to My Brother Podcast. They say there's nothing better than a cold beer on a hot summer day. Bud Light, some would say specifically. My guest today is a longtime beer industry veteran, Micah Harden, who originally is from Missouri, the Show Me State. Michael, uh, thank you so much for joining today. Rather than show us, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your background and how you arrived at where you are today? Hey, Lalu, before I start, I just want to say thank you for um, inviting me to participate in this initiative. I think it's worthwhile. I think that uh, certainly a lot of young individ- young men and women coming through right now would certainly um, benefit from what comes out of these uh, podcasts. So to start, um, I'm a fourth generation St. Louisan, um, grew up there, uh, raised, ra- uh, born and raised there, um, you know, and then um, went to a parochial school, um, started in parochial school, and then again, went to secondary school, and then eventually went to the University of Central Missouri, where I received my bachelor degree there, and from there, uh, I was fortunate enough to to uh, come on board with Anheuser Busch, uh, coming and j- basically joining their management training program. You know, at 21 years old, you know, I graduated in May and started with them July 1st of 1973 uh, into their management training program. This program, and I was pretty fortunate in the sense that this program. Uh, basically took on roughly around seven and uh, and, uh, it was a a year training program in which we had an opportunity to learn to be exposed to every facet of the company. Uh, And certainly as a young 21 year old uh, right out of college um, to to be exposed to every aspect of a company uh, the size of Anheuser-Busch was truly, when I say I was blessed or basically fortunate. Also, I might also add that I too were one of those uh, young men at the time that was uh, uh, benefited from the 1964 civil rights movement. At that time, uh, when I came on board in 1973, companies like Anheuser-Busch around the country were bringing on, let's say people of color, or let's say minorities. You know, into their management ranks. Uh, so again, I am one of those individuals, young men that, that basically benefited from the civil rights movement. Uh, a company like Anheuser-Busch that's been in existence since 1852, uh, I might say that probably, I would say that I was maybe the, the third African-American brought into the program. And the program was anywhere from 12 to 18 months. And I was the third one that was, uh, that, uh, was invited to to participate in the program. So I, I trained in St. Louis for a year. And as I said, pretty much in every aspect of the com- company from production, 
from brewing to accounting to marketing, sales, advertising, um, maintenance, engineering, every aspect of the company. So I was, again, very fortunate. And from there, um, I was relocated at 22 years old. I was re relocated to uh, Jacksonville, Florida, where was my first relocation as a first line supervisor. So going into the South, coming from St. Louis at 22 years old, not knowing anyone, um, basically I had to make my way. Uh, and luckily I was with a, a very good company at the time, which made that, made it, it was difficult, but it made it a lot easier when you're with a, uh, a large company that's, um, that would pretty much do a lot of things for you to ensure that you're successful, certainly on the move. Okay. Now what you did once you got there is, is pretty much, uh, was, which was all on you. Yeah. Uh, so worked in Jacksonville, Florida for about eight years as a first line supervisor, then became an area supervisor. Then I got relocated again to, from Jacksonville to Los, to Los Angeles. So Los Angeles, I went there. Matter of fact, let me back up. I, I got to, my, to Jacksonville because they were going through a modernization and I came on board to help with the modernization with some of the new equipment that they were installing in the plant at that time. So after eight years of being in Jacksonville, I got relocated to Los Angeles for their modernization. So then it brought me into it brought me into another plant and another place where, again, not knowing anyone, again, try, trying to, let's say, make my way. And also to coming into a new plant, you're the new person coming into a plant, and especially as an African-American, especially a young guy coming into the plant, um, you know, was definitely different for them and different for me as, as well. But coming into Los Angeles, I worked there, progressed to where uh, various supervisory managerial roles until um, and for six years. And then was tapped again to move to another relocation, another relocation for another modernization uh, <laughs> that was going on in Newark, Newark, New Jersey. So from California, where it was sun, palm trees, great, you know, just beautiful sun and fun to yeah. now move to the Northeast which was a lot different when you're working in the New York, New Jersey corridor. Uh, so worked there and then progressed and then for there for three years and then got relocated again uh, because of some issues that they were having in Houston at the time and got relocated to Houston to where I then eventually uh, uh, went there as an assistant plant manager and eventually became plant manager of the Houston facility. From there, I got moved again back to St. Louis, back to our corporate offices, but this time in the role of vice president of operations uh, for plant operations, where I was responsible for all 12 breweries across the system uh, in the country. And then uh, eventually did that for almost, I'm gonna say almost like eight years or so. And then I got moved to where I became president and CEO of, um, of their packaging group, Anheuser-Busch Packaging Group, which consisted of five subsidiaries, um, that basically that made that supported 
the the brewing oper the, the brewing operations, but also made let's say packaging materials for some of the the largest soft drink manufacturers, soft drink companies in the uh, in the country. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. You know, if you look at that career, so that career took me across what he take equates to totally um, right around thirty eight years, credited for thirty eight years of service. Uh, so came in at 22 and left in, <laughs> as an older <laughs> as a man, basically. <laughs> but uh, man, that's an incredible, incredible story and short narrative that you provided. So I want to go back uh, a little further back to St. Louis. You know, you you you're in you know in the Midwest. You're growing up in parochial school. I'm sure there were certain uh, disciplines that must have been, you know, imbued in you at that time that sort of shaped uh, your personality and who you became over time, and sort of your approach to anything that you uh, that you've undertaken. Yeah, you're right, uh, Lalu. Uh, you know, being uh, you know in parochial schools, if you will, through elementary and secondary secondary sec my secondary education, uh, basically established a a level of uh, let's say discipline. Um, I would say also, it not only was it a good education, but it was one that was on a foundation of discipline as well. You know, as well as I would say, uh, it also taught me. One thing, you know, one thing that those who went to a parochial school would understand, you know, I'm a Catholic school boy. So a Catholic school boy, they would understand what that means. That means that you, you know, discipline, you got a conscience, you know, you got a set of values uh, and you have a strong sense of uh, work ethic and perseverance, uh, which is what's required, you know, as when you're talking about as a little boy and you're coming all the way through secondary school. So yeah, it instills some of the values and some of the discipline in me that allowed me to be successful, you know, through that 38 years with uh, with Anheuser Busch. And I might also say that I was pretty fortunate that unlike maybe today, where I, I went with a great company, a, a great company. That's that's key. I mean, to to and I would say my my advice to any young person that's that's looking for a company or to land in a company is to land in one that that is that is principled. Most of all, have money, <laughs> and, uh, and and um, and because uh, because if it's principled, it allows you to grow. You know, if you are a let's say an overachiever, as an example, you know, then it will recognize performance and allow you to grow. I might also add that I was fortunate in the sense that I went into manufacturing. Manufacturing, it's it's not as it's not subjective. It's either you did it or you didn't. Okay, which is for a person like me, that was very that was my personality. That was who I was. You know, a performance driven individual. So in manufacturing, you know, it was you're being measured daily, weekly, monthly, annually. So when you're being measured like that, and as the saying goes, you get what you measure, mm -hmm. you, know, you find that it takes a lot of that subjectivity out, out of 
let's say, what people may want to impose upon you because numbers don't lie. And so uh, I was fortunate that I went into the manufacturing side of the business, which allowed yeah. me to excel. Was that, um, you know, obviously you're in St. Louis, so one can see how Anheuser-Busch, the large presence they played there might have been a nat natural attraction. But was there some calculus in your mind as you sort of go through your college experience and career that kind of sets you, at least has you thinking, let me go into this arena, you know, arenas that look like manufacturing because they fit my personality. Or how does someone make that determination? Or is it just, you know, do you rely on the luck of the draw? Or are there some things that you might uh, consider about yourself and say, hey, this might suit me better? Yeah, I would say um, that's a, it's a good question because uh, some of the other guys that I were, uh, was in training with, you know, decided a few of them decided to take, take some other some other paths. Um, it was actually a production management training program, so it was kind of aimed towards towards the manufacturing side. But some chose to do some some other things, uh, take some other, uh, let's say, aspects of the company to take that as, as something that they want to focus on versus manufacturing. Manufacturing is is the if anybody that works in manufacturing will take it's it's a tough side of the business. It's mm -hmm. uh, it is uh, very, especially when you're dealing with uh, all kinds of employees, all kinds of disciplines. You're dealing with salaried employees, union employees. You're dealing with a, a lot of difference in, in a type of manufacturing operation. And you have to basically uh, work at work at it to, to be able to excel. Yeah. Um, I would say, let me, let me give you a story. I, this might be interesting and it may be, might, might prove uh, uh, some interest of some interest to those who might be listening. Uh, so when I graduated out of the college, I happened to be, uh, my family had a business there in St. Louis. Uh, we had an electric company. And so when I got out of college, I was naturally going to work for the electric company. But um, so again, I started at pretty much in the, at the lower echelon of that company, you know, again, not basically not giving me anything. So basically I was like a material supplier individual. So one day I'm sitting in a trailer, in, a, in an equipment trailer, mud, it's been raining, so it's mud. I mean, I'm, I'm loaded with mud. I'm sitting there because there's a flat tire on the trailer. So we're waiting to waiting for the tire to get to there so we can change the tire in the mud nonetheless. All right. So I'm sitting there as I'm waiting. I'm looking across um, it was a it was the uh, parking lot of a Jewish health center. So, I, you know, so she's just killing time and waiting. I'm just watching, you know, you know, trying to understand what would be a, what's going on in a Jewish health center. Now, this is 1973. All right. So that's not something that that you know, people of color would knew a lot about working out in, in health centers. Right. At that time. Yeah. So I'm sitting there. And I noticed that in the parking lot was a um, it was a uh, a Mercedes SL, a little small, but you know. And matter of fact, it was the first one I've ever seen. But, mm. but 
sitting there, it gave me a lot of time to, to look at it in the parking lot. So I'm just watching it. And all of a sudden, and, and this is my big, this might be almost an hour, you know, of just watching it and just, you know, daydreaming in, in a way. All of a sudden, I see an African-American guy come out of the out of the door of the health center. So now that caught me by surprise. So as he's walking, he's walking through the parking lot and guess where he goes, where he's headed to. That is right then and there. <laughs> that changed the direction of my life. <laughs> I mm. knew that I knew that I wanted to do something different, you know, yeah. than what I was. But that was one of those moments in life where you make a decision where it has an impact on your life. As small as it was, it had impact on my life to change the direction of where I wanted to go. So when I got hired on with Anheuser Bush at, at 22 years old, um, uh, you know, that was kind of like something new and different. And, and as I said, I was pretty fortunate to, to get that kind of uh, opportunity uh, because again, coming on the heels of the civil rights movement, they were in the process of hiring African-Americans. Yeah. And I have to be one of them. So you're part of sort of this first set of African-Americans who are getting opportunities uh, in corporate America. And, and, you know, at this point, you know, black folks following uh, Brown versus Board of Education in 54, the Civil Rights Act. You can now go to, you know, certain PWI, predominantly white institutions and obtain your degree. So you're getting these these shots. You land at this first job. What was that like, especially coming into a program where you're one of so few African-Americans and people who might not have even encountered African-Americans in their workspace in the past? Take us through that 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 journey of that first job. Well, again, another another good question, uh, because, again, I was one of the you know, I could walk around in corporate at Anheuser Bush at the time and not see an African American for weeks, mm. weeks at a time. You know, I might walk around just, you know, for lunch or something like and not see anyone of color, except wow. I might see a, a few African American uh, uh, ladies, ladies working in an administrative aspect of the, uh, uh, in one area that I noticed. But other than that, that was it. At, at the time, and especially in a managerial type of type of role, there may have been a few African Americans working in the plant, uh, but but for the most, when I say few, I mean a few. Um, mm. so, but uh, but certainly a young man such as myself walking around in has working around in has Bush at that time, there might have been. I can think of one other African American male. That, that had came out of the program who was working there at the time as well. So it was it was definitely different. I mean, um, I would say that that early part of my life uh, at 22 years of age, um, uh, again, that discipline that came from from that parochial, that Catholic school upbringing was something that that kind of was inside me to give me that discipline to be able to to work in that environment, especially in the production environment. Uh, the other environments were, be it marketing, sales, and so forth, that was, 
that was when, you know, that was great. I mean, that was like taking a little vacation, but, but when we're working on the production side, you know, that was where, you know, really uh, as a young man, I had to really grow up, grow up pretty quick. Um, because at that time, uh, I would say unions were strong. Um, they, uh, they kind of set the tone, especially for a 22 year old, you know, for men, young men who were working in that plant, maybe they might've been 25 years of experience or something like that. But for a young guy, African-American guy in, in that environment, yeah, it, it, it required, um, it required some tenacity. It required uh, a sense of a, a certain level of confidence in oneself um, to to be able to excel, let's say, in that area. Because as I mentioned, you're measured every day. So yeah. those numbers had to come in every day. So depending on how well you could work with, with the crews, uh, depending on how well you did that particular shift. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, when you look at a manufacturing operation of that scale, man, that had to be a, a fairly technical environment. I mean, millions of dollars are invested in these plants and machinery, and then yeah. you're dealing with food, so you've got safety considerations. How did you go about, you know, sort of honing in your technical proficiencies? And, and part, I, I've got to think that understanding how to run a plan is just one of the core competencies of a production manager. And then how did you, you know, you, you really internalize that honing your skills and hopefully how did that help you thrive as such a young person uh, in the position you were in? Well, again, you're being at, at 22 years of age, you're learning almost in doing, you know, you're, you're, I mean, you've got some technical training, you know, meaning training classes, equipment classes, you know, but, but also you're learning as a result of watching and, and looking at how others operate, uh, operate the equipment, you, you, you hands on, you start learning, giving a little bit of hands on to improve your, I would say that most of my knowledge that I gained was through the various positions and jobs that I had, assignments that I had, allowed me to continue to build my technical skills uh, that went along with the assignments that I had. Um, let me let me share another story, which again may be a teaching point. Um, so then I get relocated to uh, Jacksonville. So I finally get out of, uh, out of out of St. Louis. It was the first one, myself and another, and one of my uh, colleagues, we got sent to Jacksonville, Florida for, modern, for the modernization. Um, so in working in Jacksonville during those, during those times, you know, I went in in, 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 in a one part of the production process. Um, then eventually got moved through over time, got moved to another aspect of the production process, but learning. So now I had a chance to learn a second uh, piece of the business that was in the production process. Then I got an opportunity to learn a third piece of the production process. 
So as I was going along, I kept learning different parts of the business of, of, of what it took to make a product and actually get it out the door. So from production, then I went into warehousing, you know, and learned all the aspects of be it shipping trucks, shipping rails, palletizing, you know, all the different functions that go along with warehousing. So at some point, um, I got to the point that I would come in to work. I might have been scheduled for a particular part of the process, but then because I had, uh, let's say, been exposed to so many other different parts of the pro uh, of the process that I would come in and, and actually be sent with basically to cover whoever was absent in the process. All right, now, now, when they were doing that, they didn't realize that they were giving me all that knowledge, all that training. They didn't realize that. They were basically doing it to because someone was out. Someone was, someone was uh, didn't show up for work that day. Some supervisor or manager didn't show up for work that day. So then I would come in and they'd say, okay, Mike, you take that part of the process today. Next day, it would be another part of the process. So so this went on for a couple of years where I'm bouncing almost every day to different parts of the process where my skills were being honed. So the first eight years is when I really honed my, let's say, manufacturing skills, or at least my equipment knowledge, process knowledge, you know, because of just bouncing around because others didn't want to do that job. Okay. Most, most individuals at the time want to stay in one part of the process and only stay in that part of the process. Where I, being a, a younger guy, enjoyed the difference of coming in or else I would be bored, you know. Sure. But because I was bouncing around, but at the time they didn't realize that they were allowing me to get this much knowledge. Mm -hmm. So one day it turns out that I am probably the most qualified individual in the plant. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, technically qualified individual of the plant to the point that that when a promotion came up, you know, then it became a matter of, well, where instead of subjectivity coming into play, especially during that time in the South, yeah. subjectivity come into play. Now, objectivity came into play. So manufacturing, again, is it's more objective. And so. Now, who was the most qualified? Just so happens to be the black guy was, was the most qualified. <laughs> you know, so so I got that uh, opportunity, and then I got moved to uh, as as I said to Los Angeles on a lateral. Now again, a lateral. Um, that lateral was um, you know okay for me. It was just another part of the country, something different, something new. But when I got there, I was more qualified than most of the individuals there. But then yet they put me in a, a, per, a part of the process that was at that time thought to be oh, the lesser part of the process. When in fact, I was the most knowledgeable individual coming in new from, a, from, another, from another city. But after a while, you know, again, because of the objectivity, because of manufacturing and how it is basically quantitative. Yeah. It's all performance. Eventually I became the individual that became running the whole shift, became mm -hmm. the superintendent, you know, at, at that time. 
uh, for the whole shift. So and then and then became manager and so forth, and then got sent to to to, to Newark to take them through a modernization. But my point, I guess, I'm trying to make, you know, for anyone listening, is that when always take assignments. I mean, even even the ones you don't want, uh, take them because what the, what they are, they're building blocks of learning. They're they're building blocks. They, that is what allows you to be, let's say technically sound. And I always used to say uh, with my employees is that the more technically sound you are, the more people person you can be, mm. right? The mm. more people person you can be. Think about that because you're not challenged. You're, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, um, you're not, let's say operating in a being dependent, you know, which, which takes another you know, where you're dependent because you don't know. But it's a different kind of behavior as when you know and you're technically sound, then you become a people person and then you become a person that helps others, helps develop the skills of others because you're not challenged by yeah. by, by others. If that, if that makes it, it, it absolutely does. Uh, I mean, when when you know your stuff, uh, the work can be more fun. Uh, you, you, I'm an entrepreneur, as you know, and, and I'd say one of the things about entrepreneurship is you have to know all sides of the business. There is no, you know, you're the HR, you're legal, you're accountant, uh, you know, you're chief marketing officer, you're the public affairs person. So when you're running establishments, it matters because when somebody doesn't show up or they just drop the ball or they quit on you, you being able to step in makes a difference or just in your ability to negotiate and navigate just the day to day of running your business. And so that's such an essential uh, component of it. But one thing that I find unique in, in sort of your story and journey is you tend to have this open mindedness and embracing the process along the way. And I think that that means something because a lot of folks, you know, again, I, I reference my background as an entrepreneur, a lot of folks will work in industries and they're just interested in, I'm an accountant, not really understanding what's the big picture of what this company does. How do we make money? And so you seem to take a different approach, you know, your willingness to move, for, you know, from one end of the country to another, and then to fulfill all these different roles. What 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 was the driving? Uh, what was the drive behind that, or is that just a uh, an inclination you had to be so open and willing to sort of embrace the process? Yeah. Well, you know, just like when you're when you're young, you know, uh, and, and you're coming through. Uh, some of it is it's just the excitement of doing something different, living somewhere different, meeting different people, uh, having to work with different people. Different parts of the country act and think, work, and it's set a different way. Not, not everyone is the, and you know, I mean, it's, it's easy to say, but not there. Different parts of the company kind of move a little different and think a little different than other parts of the country, depending on. Northwest is one way, you know, uh, I would say Southwest is another, you know, mm. Northeast is another, South is another, 
you know, and I had an opportunity through working with Anheuser that I had an opportunity to work in all these different parts of the country. So, so let me, let me just say that, let me also say that, let me, let me go back to what you were saying about being an entrepreneur. Now there's two, it's one, it's two ways of operating. Okay. You can operate like I was operating, which I was operating to a budget. Okay. Where my whole focus was quality and reducing the cost of goods sold. In your case, as an entrepreneur, you are basically in a PL. You are basically working to make a, you know, working either to make a living, to pay yourself or to pay others. But what you have to do, you have to deliver because other people are counting on you. You know, that's 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 a little sometimes a little more daunting, even though my approach, my, what I was doing for a living was tough. I would also say as t- what is even tougher is when hmm. you do, to make money. So others are counting on you to make money to pay them, yeah. which is which is that entrepreneurial uh, approach. And that's every day. You can't get sick. OK, you can't, you can't decide I don't want to do it today. No, yeah, you have to do it every day. But but also I would say that another thing that I found that when I was going through as I got higher, as I, I as I, you know, higher and started getting more responsibility, especially when I became a at the level of plant management where I was responsible for, you know, now we're talking about billions of dollars of assets, you know. And this was when you transitioned from Newark to Houston. Did you come in as plant manager or was that? As assistant plant manager. I came in as an assistant plant manager because the person that was in my role, you know, there lost, you know, did something or made a decision that because it came into the means, lost means. Okay. The higher you get, especially in a, in a manufacturing, um, especially, you know, it's a one strike league. You know, mm-hmm. if I pay you a lot, then, you know, there is no excuses. Uh, so so basically I came down to uh, take the, to the, the, the role or the spot of another individual, of, of another individual, but but then eventually became the plant manager of, of the facility. Yeah. Um, but then what I which is true of being an entrepreneur, what you learn is you manage through the financials. You know, no longer am I trying to manage like, you know, to get, let's say, encourage people to to perform, to work, to now I'm managing mainly through financials. I'm looking at the money. I'm looking at work because in manufacturing, nothing is free. Nothing. nothing is free. I mean, if the faucet's dripping, you're paying for it. If it's Mm. lights are on, you're paying for it. If you're paying salaries, if you're paying wages, if you're paying benefits, if you're paying, giving away product to them, you know, you know, in in achievement and hands, you know, something to encourage them to work, work more, whatever it is, nothing is free. So when nothing is free, then all you have to do is worry about what bucket is the money showing up that makes sure that the buckets are correct as to where the money's showing up so that you can manage, you manage. But then I don't have to go and watch every aspect of the process because I can look at the financials. 
I can sit and look at the financials and know exactly that I've got a problem somewhere, you know, either inventory, something somewhere there's a problem because it's showing up financially, which then requires me to now to dig into it to find out, is it an accounting issue? Is it where the money was, or let's say the activity was accounted for incorrectly? Uh, but something's wrong when you start seeing, because the, the kinds of money that's involved, you're talking about millions of dollars that are involved. And so you're watching that, um, you're watching those kinds of things every, you know, week, as I say, weekly, you know, monthly, annually, you're watching that, watching those dollars. So as you get higher, you start managing more through, through the financials. Yeah. So you, you, now you're plant manager and it's, it's, you were just a quick note here. Were you the first African-American plant manager in, in the company's history at the time? No, I was the second. The second. Okay. So you made it up there. 1852. So yeah, let's, let's not forget that it's, it's in its 120, Plus year uh, history, you made you were the second uh, African American plant manager, but I know that along the way there were some challenges, some some moments where you might have felt disenchanted or, or or you know weren't getting the recognition. People might have felt you weren't ready or deserving. What were some of those uh, moments, if you if you care to share, and and how do you you know posit that people overcome sort of some of those low points that we all undoubtedly encounter along the way? Well, Lalu, um, you, you, it was there was many challenges, barriers along the way. I mean, if you're talking about someone at 22 years old first plant being in the South and then coming and then moving from plant to plant, there was, you're running, you're, you're dealing with all kinds of different kinds of individuals, different kinds of people, different kinds of managers, different kinds of bosses, if you will. You're dealing with a lot of difference. And so uh, what gets you through it, what, you, what gets you through it is the fact that, you know, you have to have a little bit of self-confidence you know, you know, in, in yourself, believing in yourself. But as I said, it gets to be that if it's if it's an objective type of process, see where, where it gets a, some of us have difficulty is when it's subjective. Mm-hmm. The more objective it is, then that speaks to where you can see performance. I was fortunate that I went into a part of the process that was performance driven and with a company that was performance driven, that was performance driven. So uh, my personality, uh, uh, my zeal, if you will, uh, was was the type, it was a perfect match. But also I'm also gonna say that it helps to be, to work with a company that's principled, that's principled, you know, that has, let's say, some processes, some procedures, some structure, uh, where there's not a, a lot of subjectivity for for people like myself, if you will, or people like us to excel. Because performance 
It's either you did it or you did. Okay. I mean, it's that, that gets to, and if there's m real money involved, then it's not a, it's, 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 it becomes less and less about friendships. Yeah. As it is about performance. So you will find that in, 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 at least in the environment that I was in, those who performed, uh, were rewarded now yeah. may not come as fast as you would like and don't get me wrong i ran into any number of people who thought that uh i got too much or could, shouldn't get enough but it comes in, in, in it comes more in this way okay here this is how it, i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you a little bit of how it how it shows up see here's an opportunity but you you need a little more time you, you just need a little more, maybe in a year, you'll be ready for that spot. It's always something that you might be missing or you don't have enough of as compared to others. It, it, it's, uh, it, it shows itself as, it may show itself as, I think you've already got enough. You know, that you've already had enough opportunity. You know, you've got more than what you should have got. It shows up in different kinds of ways, but but what but one way it definitely shows up is that little thing called is that little uh, approach that says, you know, you know, you're good, you're really good, you know, but I think if you had another year, you'll be ready. I'm, I'm just gonna make sure you're ready. But while you're getting that other year or two getting ready when you're already ready, you know, when you're, when you, you're ready, you, others are getting that opportunity. Like others are going like, Oh yeah, he, <laughs> he doesn't even know the job, but I think he do well there. I think he'll do well there. He, others may get that opportunity with a lot less experience a lot less knowledge, a lot less skills, a lot less because they are ready. Yeah. You on the other hand will always need a little bit more, you know? And sometimes I think it's because those who will give you opportunity, they feel like they may be on the hook if you don't excel, you know, Sorry. if you don't excel. So they, they may be a little bit more reluctant about giving you opportunity until you're, quote, a proven, a proven uh, individual. Yeah. I, I would tell you that I'll give you another I'll, I'll give you another example. As I was coming through now, I've worked in Jack. I've worked in St. Louis, Jacksonville, um, L.A., L.A., Newark. And I got to Newark. And now I'm the assistant plant manager. Now I'm the operations manager for Newark. And then um, I had a vice president come down because now the assistant plant manager's role opened up, opened up in Newark. And I was the operations guy, you know, who was brought there for the modernization, who, who took them through the modernization nonetheless. All right. So I had a VP sit there in, in my office and say, uh, you know, Mike, uh, you know, we, we, we'd like to give you, you know, we'd like to give you that opportunity, but, but, we, but you know, we just don't know you. <laughs> you just don't know me. <laughs> I mean, think about that. 
You, now, I, we just don't know you. And yet you've been working for the company now for maybe, what, 15, 20 years? Yeah. You've moved from, from maybe four plants under your, mm. under your belt, but we just don't know you. I mean, that's how it shows up sometimes, you know, but, um, but, but that's one of those that you, you listen to it, you, you, you know it for what it is, but it never fails that performance, you, you eventually get that opportunity. Yeah. Eventually, eventually you're going to get that opportunity. Just, and I'm not saying you, that you wait, but you just you you kind of you know sometimes you let let things kind of work itself out and without you know being too over aggressive being too aggressive you know uh, you, you just kind of let it work out because it normally works itself out especially in a performance driven organization certainly so you you persevere you end up in Houston and eventually you're the guy you're assigned the top role you're running this plant what was it like being a plant manager just talk to us about what that role entailed and what your experience and some maybe interesting tidbits about that was like well let me give you a little story about that part too all right because these are all teaching points okay that others might might appreciate okay so now i'm in in uh houston and I'm the assistant plant manager of Houston. And now I kind of uh, get Houston back on track. All right. Um, you know, again, because of all that technical experience and all that experience coming through the years, now I'm in a, in a spot where, you know, all that comes into play. So now in the plant that was struggling, I come in, I get the plant back on track at, as the assistant plant manager. And so now, um, so now the plant manager job opens up, and and then, I, then I, I but now there's some others that came along the that came along with me over the years. One of them had already had a plant. Two of them had already had a plant. Now I'm still sitting as assistant plant manager. But then I had a person come into my office like a we had some some uh, organizational development guys, you know, some what we call like shrinks that would come in, you know. And, and help us, you know, sometimes. And um, he says, Mike, you're just not part of, you, you know, you're just not part of the club yet. They, they just not letting you in the club. You know, it's, it's, it's one. So again, another, another, another barrier or something else that, that kind of sets you back. You're, you're wondering what club, you know, what club, but that was his say, you know, you ain't, you're not one of us yet. You know, so eventually I got the opportunity because, again, perseverance, you know, perseverance. Um, and uh, and I got the opportunity. Now, running a plant is like running a city. It's like running every aspect that you've got in the city between if it's police, we, ours is security. If it's it's if it's HR, if it's uh, engineering, if it's. Uh, uh, quality, it, you know, every role is is within a plant. So it's a, it's a city. And so 
what you have to do, and because of all that experience, it allowed me to know a little bit about what everybody was, what their role was and what they're supposed to provide to help me, to help us run that plant. So again, each plant has a department, has like a, a, um, like a department head or a person who runs that particular part of the process. And my role is to coordinate to ensure that all those parts of the process are on the same page, on the same page. Mm-hmm. So running running one is you're looking at um, there's a there's a safety aspect of it. There's people that could get seriously. There's people who could get killed. You know, yes. in, there's 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 all kinds of things that happen in a day that that um, it's part exciting. But it's also part of uh, just you being experienced enough because basically those employees are counting on you to provide, to keep them gainfully employed. They're counting on you. The decisions that you make is all about, should be about keeping them gainfully employed. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, and you not to mention you got unions. Uh, different unions that you're that you're also dealing with in a plant they've got their priorities as well got some of their priorities so uh you not you got your salary the individuals you got you know in a, in manufacturing it's like i i used to put it as lalu it's the 50 40 10 rule all right 50% of your employees in a plant come to work every day do a doggone good job you don't know their names you, you don't know who they are, you know, you, you, but you know that they, they just come in and do the work. 40% of the people in a plant sometimes um, is they do a good job, but, it, but it's what's in it for me. I mean, I'm doing a good job, but, but what, what do I get out of it? Mm-hmm. They always want to know what's in it for me. Now, I'll do the job, but I need to know what what do I get out of this? I know what you get out of it, but what do I get out of it? So 40% of your employees are like that. 50% really don't care. They just do a job. They just come in, they get paid, they do the job. The other 10% now are what you, those are the ones that you know. They're the ones that don't matter what, what happens. No, the sun is up, but it ain't up enough. All right. It is, I mean, nothing is ever right or perfect for them. I mean, 10% of them. So 10% of them is like, I mean, nothing is ever going to be right. No matter how hard, whatever you do, it still ain't going to be enough and it's not going to be right. All right. And then of that 10%, there's another 3% of that 10%. There's another 3% are truly your problem. You know, they're, they're truly your problems. I mean, the ones that you really, really have to watch out for. The reason why they manufacture, you might come in early to start up early to see what they've done, you know, <laughs> sometimes. You know, <laughs> exactly what they've done, you know, because wow. they're not really there to help you. But that's that's 3% within that. And that could be 2%. That could be 4 depending on the plant, depending on the culture of the plant. Sure. Uh, but 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 it's the 50 40 50 40 10 rule in a plant guess who gets fired usually guess who loses their job 
of that yeah. ten. I, I think I'm go with the ten. <laughs> no, no. Oh, that forty percent. Mm. Those in that forty percent category lose their job generally because they're watching what the ten's doing. They're watching what the 10 is doing. The 10, the 10 doesn't come to work, but they know just how many days to be out before getting in trouble. They know, they know the contracts backwards and forwards. They, 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 they're the ones that that they are they are PhDs in contract. Mm. And how, you know, they, they are PhDs. Okay. But see, the 40% aren't. You know, they just do a good job, but they want to know what's in it for them. But they don't know the, the contract. They don't know the rules, the policies. So they end up watching what the 10% is doing and end up losing their job because that 10% it knows what they're doing. Yeah. You know, it knows what they're doing. So the 40, you generally the 40% is the ones that generally end up getting in trouble. I, I, you know, that's one I've got to keep in mind. <laughs> that's the 40%. Any any kind of environment, there's gonna be 50, 40, 10. It's just 50, a matter 40, of 10. I love 50, 40, it. 10. I love it. So you're now plant manager, you've got your 50, 40, 10 rule, you're running this small city. For most people, uh, especially manufacturing, plant manager tends to be the sort of the top of the mountain as far higher as they're gonna climb to go any higher, it's it, it can be a major leap uh, because people can be plant managers for 10, 15, 20 years and their career is done and, and that's it. So you make that leap. How does that happen? How does it all come together for you where, where you can make this, you know, what's a big jump? Yeah, it was... Uh... Well, I would say there was a series of events. There was a series of events that I really don't want to get into that series of events, but but it has something to do with a strike, a work stoppage, that kind of thing. But 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 I'm also going to say the reason why I got the opportunity, other than the fact that that uh, that my plant was one of the was the pretty much the only large plant that signed the contract. Uh, and they want to know how did that occur. Uh, but um, I would say uh, it's because of a, of, a, of another African American who who was in the room, who sit, who was in the room. Mm. See, 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 sometimes we reason why we don't get opportunities as much or as quick is because we're not in the room. All right. We're not in the room to where your the others names get put in the hat for opportunity as well. They they will always have others will always have their names in the hat. You know, their, their names. Have, but you might not be in the hat. You might be. Con I think Lalu is content where he is. I think he mm -hmm. likes it there. You know, it, again, that other barrier. I say, I think he does a good job. I. No, I think we don't want to mess that up. Let's let's keep him there. <laughs> it, it, it it happens like. But see, if you if you're in the room, if you have now achieved to the point that you're in the room, then you can ensure that others 
get fair, not not special, just fair opportunity. Get the yeah. same opportunity, but you have to be in the room. You have to you have to put yourself, work yourself hard, you know, through a, have the type of career that allows you to be in the room. Because most of the time we aren't in the room. Yeah. Okay. And it yeah. just so happened there was an African American who was a vice president, a senior executive who was was in the room. Now he wasn't in manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And I don't, don't want to give you give you his name, but you would know who I he is. I know I know who he is. Um, I, I I do know, and 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 that's incredible. And and the reason I wanted you to kind of touch on that is we need advocates, and and sometimes it's that advocate that can simply say, hey, have you thought of this person? Uh, and that's so important, you know, especially in the, in, you know, if you look at, we're having this interview in June of 2020. And when you think about how much our world has changed over the last 30 days, and we're in this heightened sense of trying to right historical wrongs, one of the areas that I've been trying to, you know, really pay attention to and talk about is the corporate boardrooms. Uh, as well as in addition to senior executives, because if we're diversifying corporate boards, then we have a chance of having someone in the room. And then obviously there are other things that have to come together for 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 the right opportunity. You know, you want the right people in the room because you could have had the brother in the room, but if he wasn't the right brother, he could have just been in the room. And so, so I think that that's that that's incredible. Um, the, you have an advocate. Obviously, you guys must have gotten a chance to know each other. Before you talk more about this new role that you take on, can, might we segue for a moment and talk about, you know, the importance of, you know, cultivating, uh, you know, people will call it mentors. People will call it people that you can, you know, bounce things off of. I can only imagine the higher you move it up in an organization, the more challenging it becomes to have sort of sounding boards or mentors or even a sponsor. What are your general thoughts around mentors or sponsors? It's uh, okay. I'll, I'll try it this way. Um, being of color, being African-American, there's, there's not many as you're coming through that you can bounce a lot of your concerns off of. There's no, there's no, there's, cause you, believe it or not, those who have worked at, you know, would understand this. That you don't trust anybody. All right. You, you, you don't, you, you, um, you, you're like, you know, you've got individuals that, uh, I'll give you an example. You learn that, um, let's say you're an employee and and you're you're a manager, you know, a director or whatever, and you and you're going through a divorce. All right, so you share that, you know, you share that with someone. I, I'm, you know, I'm having some difficult times at home, and and you're just sharing it with some 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 friends or some colleagues. Okay, so now what happens is. If something happens negative in that process, in that operation, or you not you're not let's say you're not losing you're you're losing money for a reason, has you know anything negative, guess what guess guess what's blamed? 
Yeah. He oh he's going through some he's going through some problems right now. Mm. Losing the money had nothing to do with that, or or, yeah. or had nothing, or his performance had nothing to do with that. But sure. but it becomes the the thing that those that you shared that with, you know, would say, well, you, you need to cut him. He's going through some difficult times right now. Except mm-hmm. that's what happens. You're going through difficult times forever because they will always keep that in them. So now opportunity opens up. Well, we well, I heard he was going through some some tough times right now. So let's look at somebody else. Let him let him work that out. You know, yeah. you're really careful about you know sharing a lot of, and it's certainly you never, okay, one on one, you never share your personal life with in your work life. Yeah, you. Uh, it's especially I can only speak for the manufacturing environment, but you never share your person. You keep your personal life separate and keep your business life, your business strictly in that plane. You do everything, you talk about everything. It's got something to do with that business, that process. And yeah. leave your personal leave your personal life because it becomes it becomes the reason why uh, it becomes a, a convenient excuse. For them not to give you opportunity, yeah. If 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 opportunity presents itself, now as far as mentor, I I got a I got a thought on that. Sometimes, you know, first of all, <laughs> you'll find that in a in in certain organizations, there's not a lot of people at certain levels enough to be your mentor. Yeah. Okay, it's not you know it's not it's really not. I was fortunate that there was one guy, one that was in the room. <laughs> That had up was in that room, but one there was another one of him there. All right, okay, so so it was him and then me. All right, mm. that, I mean, as far as rank within the company, within all of, of, of the company, it was him and then me. All right, so it wasn't many people for me to bounce those kinds of issues or, or to or someone that was going to help me. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. This. So, what you want? What? What I think is more important, especially for those those of us of color, is to be in an organization that, that's principled, that has values, mm. that has, let's say, um, let's say, knowing the difference between what's what's fair, uh, a sense of fairness. Yeah. Uh, that is more important. In an org, in, in within an organization, than quote mentor, because if it's an organization that's principled, you know, then you will get opportunity. If if you're performing, then you're going to get opportunity because it's principled, because it is fair, because it, it does it tries to do the right thing. You know, if get with a great organization that has structure and and that is fair, that will do more for you than a mentor. I mean, who was what mentor was I going to talk to that since there was only me in manufacturing? Yeah. I mean, at the at the I mean, there were, there was others. There was other uh, people of color, other African American men and women at, at lower levels. But my role was is it, there was to ensure that everybody got, got a fair chance. You know, not that you got anything more, or, but more or less. 
that you just had a fair chance. And generally when you, you create an environment where everybody's got a chance, a fair chance, you know, then that's all you can ask for because we will excel then. Yeah. If people are principled and, and have a sense of fairness, I, I think that will do more sometimes than quote, was it the mentor is there? Uh, okay. Well, I, I, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. No, very, very well stated. Very well stated. Very poignant points that you've made. Having a principled organization that creates a level playing field where, you know, if, 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 if it's a meritocracy and they can view things objectively, I, you know, I had a, 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 you know, an interviewee not too long ago who talked about he just wanted a level playing field and objective analysis. And so he wasn't hamstrung with this notion of having to be twice as good. Like, no, just bring me on the merit. So very, very well. Uh, well put. Now, I want to come back. You now have this new title. What's that role that you take on uh, after, you know, you get this significant promotion? And what was that experience like in your new role, I believe, as vice president? Yes, mm -hmm. of operations. Mm -hmm. Well, first it was vice president of plan operations and then eventually plan, uh, vice president where I was just responsible for the plants. Then I became Vice President of Operations, which are responsible for the plants and corporate operations and all the corporate staff that supports the 12 plants mm. at that time. The tw well, 12 and then two internationally around maintenance and reliability maintenance and, and so forth. But um, that, that was, this is why it's important that, that you, that uh, first of all, let me just back up a little bit about principled organization. This is why it's very important when you're interviewing or coming on board with the company, you should be interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. You know, you need to make sure that that company has your best interest, that you ain't just coming on to be a worker bee, that you're coming in where, hey, they recognize performance, that they have opportunities for you to excel, you know, other opportunities within the company. They've got, they've, you know, in other words, they're, they're working to develop you, not just for you to come in and do a job. Because, because most of us, some of us sometimes, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying not to be too general, but I'm saying some of us sometimes are just happy to get a job. Yeah. Well, what ends up happening just to get the job you end up putting yourself in a position that doesn't allow you to grow, doesn't allow you to develop. The company is just, they just need a good worker beat. So find out, and, a, and one way to do that also, let me just touch on this, is that, okay, every company, every large company has a strategic plan, okay? Specific performance objectives, strategic plan, you know, they got the mission, the vision, you know, that, that kind of thing. Okay, but when you come in, if you're interviewing and for whatever that, that role is, you want to see where it fits in that plan. You know, if, if it's in the plan, somewhere in mm -hmm. that plan. Because if it's not in that plan, you're a worker B. Okay, you're a worker B. If you aren't part of the strategy, of what it takes 
that where they want to take the company over the next five years and you don't have a role in that somewhere or you don't even no matter how low it is, you just got to make sure that your whatever role that is, is got a piece of what makes that strategy in that five years. Because if you're not in that strategy, then you are worker B. All right. So so it's it. So it's it's important that you you really make sure that you get on board with a good company that uh, that is like I said principled that has structure that has some structure to it and not a lot of subjectivity sometimes to it especially for for those of us of color All right sorry now being vice president now just admit that okay so now you come into I come into St Louis. And because I had all those building blocks of learning, now remember, so as a management trainee, learned every aspect of the company, then got relocated to Jacksonville, then worked all these different technical jobs, production type jobs, in, in, in every one of them. Then those that building block took me to, if you will, to Los Angeles to be involved in that modernization, to then take them through a modernization with those building blocks of learning that I learned in Jacksonville and, and in St. Louis. So now those building blocks, then those building blocks got sent to Newark, where then another set of building blocks. So you're constantly building so that when I then when I moved to Houston and then eventually got the plant, think about the, all the building blocks of learning that took place, all the exposure, all the, all the, you know, the ups and downs, you know, the breakdowns, the, you know, just everything that you've seen along the way, the good, the bad, you've seen good managers, bad managers, you've seen good employees, bad employees, you've seen a lot over those, over those years. So now you, you get the plant manager and now you ran the plant. So you ran a city, if you will, uh, with everybody and you were the guy. So not only did you have to run the city, you had to also be worried about what's happening in the city itself. You know, where you didn't do something, let's say regulatory, you you, you were regular, uh, compliant, if you will, regulatory compliant. Or are you, you know, something with air, water, you know, something that, you know, what, what were you doing with your wastewater and so forth? You know, you're looking at that, especially when your wastewater in, in a plant as the size of this one that I had was like wastewater was like uh, water was 300,000 with 300,000 a month and wastewater was 500, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, so you you're sitting there like, oh, you know, and they want to looking for you to do something wrong so they can find you, if you will, or uh, various entities are looking at some kind of way to find you or. It is OSHA or, or, you know, you name it, other regulatory agencies getting involved in your plant. So you've had all that experience. So then you get up in St. Louis. I get in St. Louis as a vice president of plant operations. And then, but now think about it all along the way, how many people I've met and worked with all along the way. Worked with, worked alongside, worked along union employees, all just salaried employees at all these different operations around the, around the country. So then when you finally get to becoming now vice president of operations, you now, you know, you've been one of the 12, you know, plant managers. You've been one of those guys. So now you're up there. Now you're responsible for 
for, you know, you have responsibilities for, for those 12 plants or those 12 individuals. So you know what they're thinking and how they're thinking and you know where to look. So you're experienced enough to, and they know you. More importantly, they know you because they watched you or worked alongside you as they came through and eventually got a plant. So, so, so now you, when you're talking to them, you're talking to them like, like one talks to someone who knows someone, you know, it's a difference. It, it's a difference. This is not, this is where, you know, you know them and they know you. So there's a, a, the, the conversations around process, quality, money you know, is very candid, but without malice, because you all know each other. It's the mm -hmm. trust that you had because all of you all worked alongside each other all, all those years, you know, in, in various parts of your careers. All right. So now I get into, into St. Louis and now I'm responsible for the plants. Okay. So, and you have to be, and I had to be in a plant one or two a week, you know, so one or two a week. Now I'm, I'm, I'm in a plane, I'm on a plane going to these plants, generally with other individuals involved with, with some aspect of those plants, involved in some aspect of those plants. But we're going into, you know, to see what's going on, you know, communication meetings where we're talking to the employees. And here's the key. Working through all those years, when you had a communication meeting, because we did communication meetings, like I might be in a plant once a week doing a communications meeting where you're telling them about the business, what's happening, what the what we need to watch out, how we're making money, losing money, what's selling, what not selling. You know, you know, they get a chance to ask you questions, you know, about what's going on. They I mean, they get to they also get a chance to tell. You tell on, you know, you know, on what their bosses are doing at, at the same time. But because you've worked with all of them, even that, even those communications are, are, um, are personal. They're, they're, you know them. When they, when they stand up, they call you by your first name because they work with you or work for you. So, so then you can talk to them and on, on a whole nother level, or they can share with you certain things that you listening to them and, and you know for, from, from this particular individual, you know, that's got an element of truth that I need to follow up on. You know, but but um, but that's what made now managing the 12 easier because I had came through the ranks mm. to be able to. I would hate to be a person looking back on that. I would hate to be a person who just one somebody just got pushed through and given that responsibility. It, I mean, every day would have to be a nightmare. OK, so think of this way. Think this way, love, love, love. Every morning you get up, every morning you get up and as you're putting on your clothes, you're looking at the news. And so as you're looking at the news and the weather, all of a sudden you hear about there's a snow blizzard in, 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 in the Northeast around your plant, one of your plants, a snow blizzard where, you know, trucks can't get in. So, so in other words, that, that plants can't get trucks in, can't get materials in, they, they're coming to a standstill. So now I have to call them and be worried about, you know, do they have, just in case they are 
snowed in, do they have food? Do they have do they have enough employees to keep the place running as they let people go home early to take care of their own homes? But you may come into another one. You may come and see something happening in, let's say, uh, California. Okay, you got forest fires. You got you know you got fires close to a plant. You're going like, oh, what? Uh, what now? What I got to worry about? You know, now I got to worry about how how close is the fire? You know, what are we doing to make sure that we are protecting the assets from from the fire? You know, it could be flooding. It could be flooding in a plant, you know, like Houston. You get a flood here, and all of a sudden we had a plant here get flooded, and you have to figure out how to get down to Houston in a helicopter to see exactly how much damage took place on, on the flood. Or it could be Southern California. You, you're Every day you're looking at the weather, and you pretty much know how your day is going to go. You know, at least some portion of your day is going to go. Like, Or it could be an explosion. You might have had a boiler explode or, or something like that. Then you have to go like, well, wait a minute. Okay, so now I know I'm going to get a lot of help. You know, I know OSHA is going to be there. Everybody's going to, it's going to be everybody in there figuring out, you know, what you did wrong, you know. So, I mean, so every morning, that's what you're dealing with. Not, not only just what's happening with the employees themselves or the process getting product out the door. You're worrying about just making sure that assets are not being challenged. Yeah. So, so that's that's that was kind of my day. Mm. So you serve in this role. Um, how many years were you in the role, and how did you how did your career sort of wind down? Okay. So, all right. So I worked up there for eleven years. Uh, 11 years of which eight of them were in the vice president of operations, um, plan operations, or operations, you know, yeah. where I had the plants and, and corporate. All right. So um, then, um, okay, now let me just share this, you know, some of the sacrifices of, I commuted from St. Louis to Houston for 11 years. Hmm. Every week, every week or every two weeks, you know, coming home, generally it was every week, but every occasionally it would be every other, every two weeks. But most of the time it was every week for 11 years, right? So think of it this way. So wherever I was in the country, if I was in St. Louis, okay, I could take Southwest. I could come on home from Southwest. But if I was in another part of the country, then I had to figure out how I was going to get from there back to Houston, fly, you know, catch a flight back to Houston. So I was in airports, I mean, all the time through those, through those 11 years. I was lucky that I had a spouse that could hold down the fort for me because my family was in Houston, but my office was in St. Louis. So my wife was able to hold down the fort here in, in Houston and take care of all the issues that, that arise in Houston. Mm -hmm. Houston. Because what you'll find, and I'm sure if you talk to others that have done what I've done or, or, or achieved what I've, I've achieved, you know, what you'll find is you'll find out one day that you don't have a home. Yeah. So you can bounce from place to place to place 
and you really don't have a home. So when I finally got to Houston, I said, I don't care where I go or whatever happens from this point, I'm, I'm going to get a home because what, what tends to happen, you don't establish any relationships in a place because you know that you might leave. You know, you don't know how long you're going to be there. So, you know, you're going to move into a Newark. You'll say, well, uh, my neighbors and everything is, you know, okay, I got neighbors. I might talk to them a little bit, but you, you're not creating any relationships because you might be gone, you know, in, in, in two or three years or four years or five. You never knew when you were going to be leaving. So, but it's at one point in my career, I said, look, I got to stop, find a home. So when I got to Houston, I said, I'm gonna make Houston home. And then and then wherever I go from there, I'll fly to it and keep commuting. And that's what I did for, for 11 years. So that was like eight years of commuting in, in that role. And then another three years, because then I got promoted to, I was given the assignment of president CEO of our five packaging subsidiaries. Uh, so now, you know, it's that's a, now now this is a whole nother another type of thing where before I was always worried about reducing costs, quality of product, you know, keeping the employees safe. Now in this other line of work that I was in with where it's made five different, different types of products and materials involved. Now I had to make a profit. Now, now is this is, I was working to, to budget on mm. one side business all on my career. Now I go into another side of the business, but now I got to generate a profit. I got to make something, sell it and generate and make money from it so that I can pay people and pay for materials and pay for the cost of goods. Good, pay for the cost of goods along with salaries, wages and so forth. So now that's a whole nother mindset, which is more of the entrepreneurial uh, approach of where like in your case, like an entrepreneur, you're now more of an entrepreneur where you're looking for customers. You know, you're looking for customers. You're trying to get a good contract, you know, for, for what you're making uh, so that you a contract large enough and across a number of years that you can then be able to have some confidence that you can pay people. Yeah. So that, that's a whole nother, uh, nother approach. Mm -hmm. Wow. Truly, truly incredible. So you have this career and it's just been wonderful. And I'm so glad that you're able to share your story. Um, for people who you know might be thinking corporate career, they're currently in corporate careers. Uh, are there any books or, or movies you might suggest? If there's a go-to movie or book, which one might it be? Okay. I have this one movie that, that I think that sums up if you're in, especially if you're in the corporate world. Okay. Sure. It's called the company men. Okay. If you look at that movie, that's inevitable. You, if you look at that movie, what's, if you're in the corporate world and you in it, any long, any length of time, it's, that's going to be you. All right, the company. Man. Okay, I'll have to add that to my watch list this um, summer. When I was a adjunct professor at the, a couple of the universities, acquired viewing to to basically what's inevitable. So, 
If you could offer advice to a 20 or 30 year old version of yourself. I think I got your question. If I can offer advice to a 20 or 30 year old um, of me, a person like me, if you will, coming through, I would say do what's right versus what's convenient. No matter how, because convenience always going to be easy. Right's going to be tough sometimes. Do what's right versus what's convenient. You'll sleep better. <laughs> you'll sleep a lot better when you do what's right versus make the decisions, even though no matter how costly they are, no matter because um, right is difficult sometimes. Now, right is difficult a lot of times. I mean, especially the higher you go. Mm -hmm. The point is, but do what's right versus convenient. I would say the other thing is, is to is to recognize that every assignment is a building blocks, a building block of learning. Every assignment is a building block of learning that one day you may be able to leverage, that you may be able to leverage to, to let's say, maybe to give you, uh, give me an opportunity, give you a chance at more opportunity. But always look at, you see, because I know when you're, when you're young, when you're just starting out, you know, and you've been doing it for two or three years, you get antsy. You get a little bit of, um, you know, you should be looking at those first five years, six years, if you will, as that you're working on your game, you know, that you're working on your game. It's sort of like like a like a pro a pro. Let's say a pro basketball player, as an example. Um, you You know. The, they they get that way because they're they're working on their game all the time. They're working on their game, their shot, their their foot their foot their footwork. They're working on uh, ball handling skills. They're working they're working on their game. They're, or they're working on their stamina. They're working on. They have to work on their game all the time because in 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 certain in, in certain companies, especially performance driven companies. You may be on the bench, you know, you may be on the bench, but if you get called into the game, you got to come, you got to be ready to play. You, I mean, you got to be ready to play. You don't, if you're not ready to play, guess what happens to you? It's the same as in pro sports. You go to the other end of the bench and you might not get a chance to be called on again. You get one shot. So you got to be ready to play. So if you get that assignment, you get that opportunity Work on honing your skills so that when you're called up to play, you're ready to play. That's that's what I would tell that. Don't look at this these five years as, hey, I'm just wasting time. Look at it as an opportunity to build to build yourself, you know, build yourself so that you can leverage that for the next five years. Here's the other thing that's very important is what I call the. Uh, I call it the. The age and time continuum. All right. Okay. So, so it's kind of like, like it's important that you know what you want to be or what you want to do or you know as early as you can identify that it's important. All right. You can't be forty and th thinking about what you want to be or what you want to do. You got to be doing. You got to come to that conclusion, even if you can come to that conclusion in college. You know, if you can come even better, if you can come in high school, because mm -hmm. because then all your effort can be about being that. 
you know, accomplishing that task, that you're not wasting time doing other things that could be, if you knew what you wanted to be, working on that, you know, so that you can hone that, you know, improve, take the classes, do whatever it takes to be that. Okay, so, but let's say you don't. Let's say you now, you know, in college now, you, you know, you graduated. I'm just saying you will come, know what you want to be. What, where, what is it? You, if you want to be a, I'm using the example as a plant manager. If that's what you want to be, then you better be positioning yourself, working on your skills, working on experience and getting the kinds of experience that would allow you to be that along the way. You want to know what it takes to be that if that's what you so that so you're not wasting your effort, effort. That's not going to get you to that objective. So, so think of it this way. If you want to be plant manager on this continuum, if you want to be plant manager as an example, then, okay, so you're 22, 23, you're working on it. That's great. But by the time you hit 30, you know, maybe early 30s, mid 30s, you need to have moved. You know, you have, need to have made a move you know, somewhere, you know, to the next position, to the next spot. Okay. So now you're, you're 40. Then you need to be making sure if that's your goal, then you need to be making another move, you know, making another move so that, so that you're moving, progressing in such a way that time and your age come into play that allows you to accomplish that 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 ultimate objective, whatever that is. I just plan manager, whatever it is. But you got to be moving and making decisions somewhere along the way, uh, somewhere along the way. Like if if it's not happening, so you can't be here and okay. So now you're way back here at the start, and now you're forty. Your chances of being that in plant manager, as an example, it's not a miracle occurs. You know, between forty. And normally that person being that plan manager is going to be like maybe 50, late 40s. So if you're 40 or if you're 35 and you're still back here, that's not going to happen. Not unless you make some changes to to put you on the path to to make that happen. Yeah. You see see what I'm saying? But you got to make, you got to know what you, see, you can't be trying to figure it out. You know, like to say, try to figure it out. No, you you got to have that so that you're not wasting effort and that you're making sure you're making progress to accomplish that ultimate objective. Because no one's going to give you, no one's going to tell you, oh, I think you could be. No, nah, no one's going to tell you that you, I think you could be plant manager. You know, no, that's that. It, it doesn't happen. That, most people don't even make it to that point, you know, no matter what their degree is or whatever. Here's another thing, too. Um, okay, so when you make those moves, let's make sure that that um, whatever you're getting paid, you make sure you do a complete analysis of what you're getting paid, your whole package. Okay, so, so make sure you understand what you're making, you know, like wage or salary, what the benefit piece is and what that costs, you know, what vacation, what, you know, everything, health care, everything, what that costs. So that the bottom line is you say, hey, I might be 
I might be making 60, 70, $80,000, but all in with all these benefits, I might be making 95,000, you know, I, you know, or, you know, as an example. So when you make that next move, if you make another move, you know, especially if you're leaving that particular organization, you better make sure that that they're because they're going to offer you what you, what what you said, you know, that you're making here. You better make sure you before you make that jump that you're making that 95 and with with a another percent or so on with another maybe 10, five or 10 percent more on top of that. Hmm. Or why make the move? You know, or unless there's more opportunity or something, but but it, but it all still gets down to money, you know. So so that that's another uh, piece of advice that I would give that twenty or thirty year, especially when they get antsy, when they get you know they get like uh, I, I'm I'm just my life, you know. They think that life is not going not going their way or in their job or whatever. Then make sure you do that financial analysis on what you're being total package of what you're being paid and then start making your your move as 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 an example if I, what i would tell my 20 or 30 year old self um i would just say you know learn don't get frustrated learn another thing you know you uh if you like as an example if you Okay, wait a minute, Lalu. If you say you want to be plant manager, I'm, and I can keep using that as an example. Okay, but if you know that all plant plant managers have an MBA or an advanced some advanced degree, then what does that tell you? If that's what you want to be, then you better be working on that advanced degree. Yeah. Or else it is not going to happen for you. As 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 an example. Another thing that you've often mentioned to me, in addition to financial security, is health. So, why do you place such emphasis on that? On, on health, health, personal health. Yes, personal health. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, because, like, as the saying goes, real wealth, real wealth is health. It is how help is how you take care of yourself, you know, is so as you're coming through, make sure you, you should be you should always think of it like here's my here's my other along with health. Here's some advice I, I got for that 20 or 30 year old. When you start that job, start thinking about how you want to live when it's all when it when you're done. And plan for when you're done. So in other words, don't be trying to plan for when you're done at 40 or at 50. Don't 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 plan. That's too late. You got to almost as soon as you start that job, you need to start it in such a way, be it 401k or, you know, getting health care, taking care of yourself. You need to start thinking because what you want to do is make sure that when it's over. That you can live comfortably when it's over. Yeah. But you can't do it. at You can't do it at 50. That, that's what's happening in the country right now. There's a lot of people that may be unemployed, but they're 50 something years old. And now, you know, they're not, let's say, having set themselves up for life after. Sure. Sure. So, so go ahead. Talking about life after, I um, 
I know that family legacy is a big thing for you uh, and protecting that legacy for the long uh, haul is something that uh, I'm uh, personally aware that you value very strongly and then protecting sort of general and building and protecting generational wealth. Uh, I, I, I've had the, uh, the KM experience. So why don't you share a bit with us about what's on the horizon and your thoughts around leaving a legacy family uh, and when it's all said and done? Like, uh, I think that that's something that I, as, as African-Americans or people of color, that's something that maybe it's because we, I know it's because sometimes we didn't have maybe enough disposable income or enough income to be thinking about generational wealth. But I'm just saying, if you're on that path, it's about what you can leave to make it a little more, a little easier for, let's say, not, you don't want to make it where they, they're, they're lazy or something, but you want to give it something where they're, they've got something to start from, something to start from. So my goal, my goal now in retirement, uh, now that I'm, I'm really retired now, uh, it's about maintaining or building generational wealth so that in one day I could be a legacy where I can hand that down to, to, to my children and then hopefully their children and, and, and basically to build from there. It's, it's, it's like right now I can go back to family wise. I, you know, I've been really working on this since I've had time, you know, uh, to go back and find out just as far back I can go with my family. And I can go back to like 1862, right in that area, 1862. Mm-hmm. But so part of my role is, is the, is the uh, patriarch of the family is to make sure they understand where that family came from, where the, where they, how, who they are and where, where it all started that we have documentation for because things get sketchy around 1860, 1862, 1865. Things get a little sketchy, okay? Well, non-existent, you know? But, yeah. but, uh, but I try to, you know, share with them, I want to make sure I leave that as, far, as part of the legacy as to that they then can then share, but along with that, quote, gener- part of the generational wealth thing. So knowledge about family, knowledge about also... Leaving, putting them in such a way that they then have a chance to then build from there to then allow their children to uh, to uh, to excel. Uh, I, I like I have three adults, three adult kids, you know, children or whatever. I guess call me they're adults now, you know. But, but so. Uh, you know, but one of the things I want to always make sure that I was there to say, hey, you have to go to school. You know, you, you know, there's, there's no there's no option. You know, you're going to college and then from there, you know, you're going to keep advancing and keep moving, moving forward. And, and so as a result, now they can then take that same and then pass that on to to their kids. But I am a big proponent of, of generational wealth, of passing on generational wealth. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Uh, you, you've talked and emphasized the importance of discipline, uh, finding and, and working for principled organizations, uh, particularly if you can find 
uh, a space where things are objective rather than subjective. You talked about starting early, the 50-40-10 rule, just so many important nuggets have been shared today. Uh, my guest today has been Michael S. Harden. My name is Lalu Davis Yemitin, and you've been listening to My Brother Podcast. Whoa.